Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, July 31st, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for FaithBridge Online at faithbridge.org live. Here's Clay. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name's Clay. I'm so grateful to get to be here with you. Uh, we're talking about uh, the life of Jesus. We're uh, reading through Luke this year together. And Ken texted me about a month ago, and he said, hey, July 31st, we'll be on Luke 11. Luke 11 is all about money. Are you up for it? And I was like, I am always up for it. Yeah, you got it, Ken. I'm not going to back down. Turn down for what, you know? Let's do this. No, I was kind of nervous about it. I was kind of, um, you know, I was half excited and half nervous. And then I, um, I, I flew in last night. My wife and I live in Atlanta. I flew in last night. I get to the Hertz rental car desk, and they said, um, sir, we would like to upgrade you to a Tesla. And I was like, God, is this you? What does this mean? We're talking about money, and now I'm pulling up to Faithbridge in a Tesla Hello. Uh, I don't know what that. I don't know what to make of that. I don't have any meaning there other than uh, I just thought I don't know if this is a temptation. Is this the devil or is this God saying, "Good luck, go get him, cowboy"? You know, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I'm so glad to be here with you, though. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 11. We're gonna just read through this passage, and then I want to tell you why um, this is. Uh, extra important for me. We've got Bibles. If you need one, just raise your hand up. Uh, you can just um, use it for today, or you can hold on to it, and you can keep it for good, uh, whichever one would be most beneficial for you. But if you need one, they're right here with them. Um, Luke 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, and so he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Hmm. Then the, the Lord said to him, he said, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Verse 40, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for you, what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice. You neglect the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. What has gotten Jesus in such a tizzy, right? Um, wow, that is, um, that's, not, that's not easy to think about. That's not easy to hear. That's not easy to process. Jesus is clearly upset, frustrated, and he's trying to say something. And I do think there's something for us in 2022. I think this is something that's very helpful for all of us. Um, I know I, I have had a chance to meet some of you, um, have not obviously had a chance to meet all of you. And 
Um, you, you have a fabulous church, by the way. Um, it is really remarkable all that God is doing through you. Um, I'm just so grateful to get to be here even for just um, this moment today. But my own life has taken, uh, it took a big turn about a year ago. Um, the first message I preached here back in the fall, I shared a little bit about that. But um, I was a pastor for 20 years. Uh, I went to college to major in engineering, quickly realized I don't need to be doing that. That would not be good for me, nor would that be good for the field of engineering. Uh, I went to seminary, went to Dallas, Texas, met my wife there, um, studied her more than I studied theology. Hey. Um, and we got married, we have five kids, and I've been a pastor working at a church for 20 years until last summer uh, when I felt this significant nudge to step out and do my own thing. I had written some leadership books, uh, 2017 released one called How to Leave Me or Not in Charge, and then 2019 and then last year released one, or at the beginning of this year, released one called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, and I, that had given me a lot of opportunity to speak on the topic of leadership to businesses and organizations, and um, I just thought, wow, this would be really interesting to try to see if I could make a career out of preaching at churches on Sundays and talking to businesses during the week about how to help their people become better people. And so I took that step out, and it was, uh, it was pretty scary, but it felt so... Um, it just felt like, you know, when something is right in front of you and you feel like, well, this is the next move, uh, oftentimes people will tell you, you know, like, Ooh, whoa, that was that, did that take a lot of courage? And for me, it really didn't because it, my wife, for one, was really pushing me to do it and I had some really good friends that were encouraging me. And, and it's been a year now. We've been doing this uh, one full year. This July 31st, actually, was my last Sunday uh, or last day at the church that I had been working at last year. And so this is, uh, as I was thinking about today, I was thinking, wow, this is a big, this is a big holiday, or not a holiday, it's definitely not a holiday, it's a work day, but this is a, big, um, this is a big day for me as I think about all that God has done in the last year. And if somebody were to ask me, well, you know, what have you learned, which if you were to ask me that, I would say, oh, thank you for asking me. Um, I would say one of the biggest challenges I feel is around money. And not just where is it going to come from and how am I going to get it and are we going to have enough? No, I have found that in my previous life, in 20 years of working in ministry, I clearly, you don't get into, you don't start working in ministry to get rich. You know, you work in ministry because you really love people and want to help people and want to advance God's kingdom here on earth. But over the last year, uh, working for myself and creating a, a, a new business and then also still trying to help people and help churches, I have found myself, the temptation of money has been so different than it was in ministry. And so honestly, when Ken said, hey, would you be interested in talking about this? I, I honestly felt like this will be really good for me. And so today, really, um, today, I hope that it will benefit you. But I'm telling you, over the past couple of weeks of just studying Luke 11 on what was Jesus really trying to say, it was so good for my soul to wrestle through, to make sure that money does not have a hold on my soul. Because it can, right? Uh, you, you, you know what Jesus said. I mean, Jesus talked about money a ton. He talked about money more than just about any other topic. But in the Sermon on the Mount specifically, he said this. Uh, th this is uh, pretty clear, but re read this with me if you would. He said, no one can serve two masters. No, you'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, but you cannot serve, you cannot serve both God and money. He goes on to say, the greatest competitor for your heart and for my heart is not power. 
It is not fame. It is not anything other than money. It is the chief competitor for your heart and for my heart. And so it's no wonder that for the last year, for me, I have experienced the temptation, the allure of money more than ever before. I was telling a friend about it, and he forwarded me this podcast, which was super helpful. A guy named Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch is, uh, I, I personally have been really impacted by his book on technology and how to, uh, how to help your family become a tech-wise family, how to be wise with technology. Uh, but Andy Crouch was talking about money and talks about money quite a bit. And this is one of the things he said that I thought was so profound. He was really wrestling through, why did Jesus say, it's your heart and it's money. It's, it's God and it's money for your heart. Why money? And he said this, which I thought was just a really interesting point that I had never heard before. He said, money is a fungible, countable, and storable power. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say it slower and let's walk through it real quickly. He says, money's unlike any other power that you can have. Money is a fungible power, meaning you can trade it for other things. You can exchange it for other things. It is a countable power, meaning, you know, if you were in charge of something, if you were the boss of something or elected to something or had some kind of fame, it's hard to measure, well, how much fame do you have? I was trying to explain to my kids how big of a deal the Beatles were. And they were like, like, how popular were they? And, you know, the only way you can explain that is relative to someone else. And so I was like, you know, I mean, more popular than One Direction. And they were like, who's One Direction? I was like, well, all right, so we're lost already, you know? I was like, I mean, you know, maybe less popular than, you know, Justin Bieber, maybe? I don't know, or maybe more. It's hard to say because it's hard to measure it, right? It's hard to measure fame and power, but it's not hard to measure money. In fact, that's one of the things that's kind of nice about it, is it's black and white. It doesn't have emotions. You know how much you have, you know how much you don't have. But that lends itself to get inside of our heart because we can measure our worth, we can measure our stability, we can measure really our power in the world based on how much money we have or don't have. There's really nothing in this world, there, there isn't a whole lot that you couldn't go and buy if you wanted to buy it, right? I mean, there are some things, obviously, we know, satisfaction, contentment, joy, some of those intangible things. But in regard to the tangible things, if you have enough money, you can go do it. And that gives you a sense of power, and you can count that. And then, and then he, he said it's, it's storable, which I hadn't really thought about before, but of course it's storable. Uh, you know, right now, I have a sense, I, there, there's a level of power that I have right now, at least for the next 24 minutes, because I'm standing up here with a microphone, right? But eventually, this is going to go away. I mean, eventually, you're going to go away, and eventually, I'm going to go away. But our money is something that you can actually store for later. See, I got to use this that I have right now for the next 20 minutes, but money, you can save it for a rainy day. You can store it up, and you can use it later on. There really is something incredibly powerful, unlike anything else when it comes to money. And so Jesus is sitting down with this Pharisee in Luke 11, and these Pharisees are totally judging him, right? Why didn't he wash his hands before he ate? I mean, in our, you know, post-COVID or mid-COVID or wherever we are world, we all hear that and we're like, oh my goodness, do not do that. You should definitely wash your hands, right? But this wasn't, this wasn't an issue of hygiene for Jesus. This wasn't an issue of uh, were his hands dirty because of what he had been doing. No, this was an issue of separation. This was an issue of religion, basically. 
that there was all of this Jewish law that God had given his people, and part of the Jewish law was to remain clean, to stay clean, but for these Pharisees, it had become a very external thing. They would wash all the time. They would wash any time they left a crowd of people. They would wash at night. They would wash in the morning. They would wash whenever they were around others. And it was really an issue of separation. It was, I, if I could have, would have gotten anywhere close to touching a Gentile, that would have made me unclean. And so I've got to wash myself. And it was all about the external. It was all about the, 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 the perception of it. And so Jesus is calling them out in this. He says, hey, um, let, let's not be so worried about the outside. In fact, he uses this illustration, if you can put it up again, about the cup. He says, hey, be, be careful. Woe to you who clean the outside of the cup, but your inside is dirty. It's, it's filled with greed and wickedness. He says, be careful. Woe to you is a curse. Woe to you is curse you if you only worry about the outside. Now, the nice thing is, is he's not placing the inside above the outside, right? I mean, there is a form of religion that would say, well, just love God, and as long as your heart loves God, then you can do whatever you want. He's not gonna say that. No, he says, no, there are specifically some things that you do need to do. The external does matter, but if you only focus on the outside, if you only focus on perception, if, the only, if you only focus uh, on the way that people see you or view you, then you're missing something. And so he says, don't, don't do that. He says, you would, never, you would never clean just the outside of the cup and then you pull it out of the cupboard. You know that feeling where you, particularly when you have friends over, right? And they pull it out and they're like, uh, this is gross. There's something inside of this, you know? You're like, oh, that dishwasher, boy. It sometimes gets it and it sometimes doesn't, right? That's a terrible feeling, right? And Jesus is going, don't, don't do that. Don't just clean the outside. And then he immediately moves to the topic of money. He immediately jumps to talking about money. Well, of course he does because it's the chief competitor for our soul. And so he goes to this idea that, that's called the tithe, right? Now, the great thing about my situation today is uh, I do not work here at Faith Bridge. I am just here for the day to come and serve in this way. And so I'm going to talk about tithing to your local church. And honestly, I, I, I think it would be crazy not to tithe to your local church. If, I was, if this were my local church, this is where I would tithe. But for those of you that this is not your local church, you can just feel off the hook today. But for those of you that this is your church, I think everybody ought to have a plan for how they're giving to their local church. Of course you should. It only makes sense. And the tithe is the place to start. Jesus says, look, in the Old Testament, it did say that you are to give a tenth of everything you make to the, the local church, to the synagogue, to the place, the religious establishment. And, and the purpose there is that people would, there would be this community of people that are helping to connect people to God and then helping to connect God's people to needs in the world. And this is what FaithBridge does so, so well. I mean, even today, I don't know how you feel, but I feel closer to God just by singing some of the songs we're singing, just by opening up God's word together. And then to see the way that you're taking care of the needs in the community, it's remarkable. And so Jesus is calling back into the Old Testament where it said, hey, give a tenth of what you make back to the church. This is what he says. And, and it's tough to know because there are some weird things in the Old Testament that it asks us to do, right? 
Like in the Old Testament, it says you shouldn't combine different things inside of a fabric. You wouldn't put flax with wool, right? Some of you are like, well, what about my polyester shirt? That's half polyester and half cotton, right? Well, those things are like, okay, well, Jesus never references that. He never calls that out. And so it's, it's tough to know, and we don't have time to get into, well, well, how do we know what we should pay attention to in the Old Testament and what we shouldn't? But what we do know is that when Jesus calls it out, then we should certainly pay attention to it. And so Jesus is saying, giving a tenth to your local church, yes, that is something that you should do. But he says, but watch out. Because he calls out these Pharisees. If you could put up that verse, I think it's, uh, is it 41 maybe, where he says, hey, you, you, you've got your mint, and you pick out just one piece of mint, right? And you make sure to even tithe on your mint and your rue and all of your other herbs. Yeah, here it is. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all of your other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and you neglect the love of God. He's saying, hey, I know that some of you, you are very careful to count exactly how much it is that you're giving. But you're neglecting something on the inside. And so what Jesus, it seems like, is telling us is, he says there is this external measurement. If you want an external measurement, if you want an external guideline as to how you're supposed to give, then yes, a tenth is a good place to start. Now the hard thing is, I don't know, if the Bible would have been written in our day and age, I don't know that he would have said a tenth. He might have said more than that because of how blessed we are, because of how much we have. I mean, as I was cruising around Houston in that Tesla, I was thinking, wow, I don't know if for me, I certainly know a tenth is not enough. I should be giving more than a tenth. But for some of you, that might feel too high and maybe you just start, just maybe just pick a percentage, start with a percentage, go somewhere with it. But he gives us this guideline. If you want an external guideline, he says, I'll give you one, a tenth. Start there. Yes, that's good that you would give a tenth of what it is that you make. Now, in this day and age, if, if, if someone were to say, all right, so you've been given this piece of land and you're farming this piece of land and the owner of the land wants a tenth of the income from the land, that would have been an incredible deal. In this day and age, they would have been like, wait, the owner only wants a tenth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have been like, wow, this is fantastic that the owner only wants a tenth. But in our day and age, you're farming with your mind or you're farming with your artistic ability or you're farming with your leadership ability or you're farming with your medical ability or your business ability. And God is saying, yeah, I, I'm just saying as an act of generosity to make sure that money doesn't get all up in your heart and own your soul, would you give a tenth of it away? Would you give away a tenth of what it is that you make? If you want an external guideline, if you want something on the outside, he says, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But then he moves to, but there's this internal, there's an internal compulsion, an internal motivation that should be there. Uh, you know, the first time I came to Faith Bridge, I had never been a part of a church where when they took the, the when, when they had the opportunity to give, everybody started clapping. And at first I was kind of surprised by that because I didn't, and maybe you were as well, those of you who are new here. But the more I've done it, the more I've realized, you know, this is really a great thing to be able to remind us 
that there is this joy that comes with giving, that there is this, this compassion that ought to come with giving, right? Because what he's doing is he's saying, cursed are you Pharisees who you count and you give it right down to the penny, a specific 10%, not anything more, not anything less. And you're checking off the box, but your heart is not moved. Your heart is not moved toward justice. Your heart is not moved toward the love of God. He's saying, don't, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't, don't begrudgingly give God just exactly the 10th, but then do it with this heart that says, ah, it feels like too much. I just don't like it. You know, always skeptical about what are they going to do with it? And this doesn't feel right. And this feels like too much. No, he says, be motivated by justice. Be motivated by the love of God. You know, the hardest thing to do I found is to let your hands and your feet follow your generosity. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the easiest thing to do is to write a check. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is to give. And sometimes the harder thing to do is to serve on the board <laughs> or to volunteer or to pray for them or, or, to, or to want them to do good things and want them to be more effective and to show it with your hands and your feet and your actions. He says, don't just be the kind of person that just checks the box. No, get in there and be moved by your heart. Be moved by your love of God. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I stop and think about the people that have been generous in such a way that have provided the kinds of environments like this where I have then been able to benefit from it. Or what's even more emotional, we just picked our kids up from Pine Cove this past week. And when I think about an organization like that that has made such a significant investment in the spiritual direction of my kids, I just think, wow, how could I not be moved by that? How could I not be moved, not just to external generosity, but also to internal compulsion to go, this is, this is just, and this is for the love of God, and this is for the love of others. We, we all know that it's all going to fade away, except for what it is that we do with people, right? And so would you, yes, if you need an external guideline, sure, he gives us one. 10% to our local church, and then above and beyond that to other organizations. But then if he, if he were to stop and say, hey, well, is that enough? It's as if Jesus is saying, no, don't stop there. No, let your heart be moved. Let your hands and your feet be moved to be involved with the work of God. And, and then he, he goes on to, to say some interesting things about, about power, and about the way wealth gets into the way we feel. If, if you would pop up that next verse that's right after the, the mint and the rue. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and you love the respectful greetings in the marketplace. In other words, you love your nice stuff. Listen, people, I am, this, this is the part that so convicted me. You know, the trend in retail is, same stuff we've always had, but nicer, right? I mean, name a brand that does the same stuff we've always had, 
but just nicer. Go ahead, throw one out. Anyone? Apple. It's a computer. It's just really nice, you know? Lululemon. They're just stretch pants, you know? They're just athletic shorts, but it's really, really nice. My teenage daughter wants $70 Lululemon shorts. I mean, if I, when I was a kid, you know, if she were to ask me, well, what kind of shorts did you wear? I would be like, I have no idea. I don't remember. That, that was not a thing to wear such nice, I mean, we, our, our kids want, you know, there's a Coleman cooler, which if you work for Coleman, wonderful cooler. And then there's the, the Yeti cooler. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's status. When you roll up to the tailgate with your Yeti backpack cooler, like you're about to go hike the Adirondacks or something, right? That's power. That, that, that's, that's something that, fe that feel, it makes us feel good. Someone, uh, a friend of mine gave our son, gave him a pair of Yeezys. You know about Yeezys? I mean, they're Adidas shoes, but they're designed by Kanye West. And so they cost $500. They're so nice, y'all. It's like walking on clouds. I don't know if it is or it isn't. But my friend told him this. He said, hey, I, I don't wear these, and he can, he can have them. And I told him he was real into shoes. And he said, hey, tell him this. You can give them to him, but tell him the same feeling that he gets when he puts these shoes on can be accessed at any point in time in life. Think about that. I was like, ooh, okay, Yoda. <laughs> no, think about that. What he's trying to tell him is, sure, you can have nice things. You can want nice things. You can, that, that's, I, I get it. But don't lose sight of the fact that God's the one that grants your worth. God's the one that bestows your worth. And that same feeling that makes you feel worth something because you've got a nice brand on, you can access that feeling anytime you want because your heavenly father is ultimately the one who ascribes that to you. And he's telling these, he's telling these, these Pharisees, he's saying, hey, if you're all about the way other people view you and you're all about your nice car and how glorious the little memorial you did at the synagogue was and how loud and big and, and, and plentiful the greetings are in the marketplace. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't fall into that trap of living a life of insignificance. Don't miss living a life where the more you give, the more you give away, the more significant you become. See, our world tells us the more you consume, the more you have, the nicer your brands, the more significant you are. Jesus says, no, 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 that is not what true life is all about. And so the next verse he says, he says, you are like an unmarked grave that people are just gonna walk over and not even know you're here. Th think about this, this is deep, I mean, this is powerful. He's saying, woe to you, because you're like this unmarked grave. When you live a life that's all about stuff and all about the way you're seen and all about your reputation, eventually your grave is unmarked and people don't even know you were on earth. 
But if you live a life of extraordinary compassion and generosity toward others, it's as if you're putting a name on a gravestone. It's as if you're going to be remembered beyond just this generation. He's telling us, hey, invest in significance. Invest in significance. If you need a guideline, sure, 10%. I mean, if, if, but, but let's be people that go above and beyond that. They go, that that's nothing because, because we're so compelled by what God has done for us. And be a person that's moved by justice and the love of God. I, I can't wait to make more money because I can't wait to give. Instead of I can't wait to make more money because I can't wait to buy. I'm telling you, I get sucked into it. I've found myself, even in the last year, more sucked into it than ever before. And this has woken me up. I mean, this has been a God grabbing me by the shoulders going, don't miss it. Grow up. Mature out of that. Understand that there is an eternity. There's not just this life. No, if you want to know the spiritual motor that really moves us, it's significance. It's investing in other people. It's going, God, I... I, I I want to do so much more because there's so much at stake. That, that, that's what I want. I, I hope that's what you want as well. It, it's as if Jesus is commanding a generosity that cannot be commanded. Let, let, let me explain this to you. I, I heard Tim Keller say this. He said, Jesus is commanding a generosity that really can't be commanded. See, these, these Pharisees were, generosity to them was checking the box and doing everything just as they were supposed to and told to do. But he's saying, but if you have to be commanded to do it, then you're not really doing it. Because he wants a cheerful giver. He wants a, gen, a, a giver that's motivated by compassion, a giver that's motivated by generosity, a giver that's motivated by significance. It would be like telling a dating couple Hey, I, I know you're dating and I think that's wonderful, but I really think you need to show some compassion, excuse me, show some affection to each other. I really just want to encourage you. Y'all need to make out a little more. <laughs> no, see, if there's love there, you don't really have to tell people that. It just kind of moves toward that. I mean, I, I, when, when I officiate weddings, I love the moment to be able to stand up in front of a couple and say, to the groom, my friend, you may, you may now kiss your bride. And, and, and the way you say it is you say, you may kiss your bride. You don't say, and hey, now, I just want to let you know, now's the point in time where you have to kiss your bride. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but this is the moment that you've been dreading for so long. Right? If you had to do that, that's not really generosity. Generosity is, you may, you may, you, you may get this glorious opportunity to go change someone's life. You may get this amazing opportunity to go help someone out. You may get this incredible opportunity to show God how crazy you are about him by not letting money get a hold, by not letting money get a grip on your heart. So three little points of application. Number one, increase your percentage. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to increase my percentage. 
I, 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 don't, I don't want my percentage when I was working at a church to outpace my percentage when I'm not. Because I want to make what I was doing then, no, I was doing that because I wanted to. And so I'm trying to increase our percentage. I think you should increase your percentage. For some of you, you know what that means? That means you've got to check your percentage before April 15th when you submit your taxes. Because that's usually when we check our percentage, right? When you look back over the previous year and go, huh, wow, I didn't realize that we gave so much or gave so little or whatever. No, check it now. Go today, figure it out. Figure it out. What percentage are you giving? And then just set a goal to increase it. Number two, involve your heart. Get your heart involved with it. Get your heart involved with Faith Bridge. Get your heart involved with organizations that you choose to be generous toward. Pray for them. Volunteer with them. Serve on the board. Help them out. Care about it. Involve your heart. Let it be an act of compassion and not an act of drudgery. You may kiss your bride. And then number three, stretch. <laughs> stretch yourself. It's, it's always dangerous to say, test God. But I would encourage you, stretch yourself and test him. See if it doesn't lead you to a place where it no longer has a grip on your heart. See if it doesn't lead you to a place where you start seeing things that you had never seen before. Stretch yourself. Stretch yourself in your percentage. Stretch yourself with your heart and what you care about. Let, let, let's do it for the sake of the gospel because there are people that haven't heard. There are people that don't know. For the sake of our local church, I mean, we, we need great local churches. And if this is your local church, you ought to have a plan for how you're being generous to your local church. Stretch, stretch, stretch. I'll, I'll, um, I'll end with this. My, um, about two years ago, um, one of my greatest mentors died. And um, other than my dad and a few other men who have invested in me, I mean, this man had more of an impact on my life than anyone else. His name was Reggie Campbell. And when he died, um, he died of, uh, he had some lung problems and ended up having skin cancer. And um, he had this, he had this little uh, sign up on, a, on a, one of those big post-it notes that he had written in his office and they brought it up to his memorial service and they put it on the stage and I'll never forget it. I was playing golf this week with a friend of mine who was also real close with him and we were talking about the impact that seeing that made on us because what he had written on it was he knew, he knew for a couple of years that he had had a lung transplant and he knew he had this cancer diagnosis and he knew, hey, I'm not going to live to 100. He ended up dying at 70 years old. But on his little flip chart there. On the big post-it note, he wrote, don't run the clock out. In other words, don't just twiddle your thumbs until death comes. Don't just retire from, I mean, retirement's a great thing. I hope I'll get to retire someday, but don't retire from investing in people. Don't retire from being used by God. Don't retire from growing in your generosity. No, don't run the clock out. Stretch yourself all the way up until the last moment. Let God use you all the way up until the last moment. That, that was extremely motivating and inspirational for me. 
And I hope that you'll do the same. I hope you'll choose, however, wherever you are in your life, that you would choose to go, God, I want you to use me. I want to be used by you in, the, in my hands and my feet, but also in my finances. I, I, I want you to use me. I want you to use me up until right at the very end when life is over and I get to experience eternity with you. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, that would be true of all of us, that we would experience the joy of generosity, the joy of being used by you. God, please, I'm begging you. I'm holding a microphone right now, but I, I am begging you that you would not allow me to let money get a grip on my heart. I pray that I would never hear that woe to you. So Father, I just, we all together just are telling you, hey, we, we want to be men and women who are growing in generosity, who are marked by extraordinary compassion, who are marked by extraordinary, unthinkable, unfathomable generosity, because that is what you've done for us. You've been so good to us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.